Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. Rob Dunn with us. His work is called Never Home Alone, and we want next hour your calls, your questions, and your critter stories, too. We'll get into how mice get into uh, your house, too. Rob, these bed bugs, and we'll talk about them in the house again in, in a second, but why do hotels have such a horrendous reputation with bed bugs? Well, you, you get a lot of people moving in and out, and so you get lots of chances for them to, to arrive. Um, and, and then they're hard to get rid of. And so, like, the, the chances that they get there are really high, and then they have sort of ordinary chances of getting rid of them. Um, but the, the, tr- the trick with the bed bugs in the hotel is, is really that just to, you need to check the sheets and check the mattress and look for little spots of, of blood. And, and they're pretty easy to spot. They're, they're not invisible. They're, they're very much a visible little monster. Like little black dots, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're um, I mean, what's the appropriate, like, comparison uh, I mean, they're, they're, it's like a clump of pepper grains with legs. Um, <laughs> and a little pincher. And a, and a little pincher. And, and uh, see, you can see them. And so, I mean, I always look for them. It, it's worth doing. Um, yeah, you, have you ever gone into a hotel and found one? Yeah, we, we actually had a, a, a lab retreat. And so we, we all went to the coast to a, it was to a, a rental house, not a hotel, but but it was a whole house full of, of people who study insects in homes. Oh. And, and we got there, and, and sh- sure enough, th- th- there they were. And we called the owner and said, we have bed bugs. And he said, how can you be sure? And I thought, well, we're, we're, pretty, we're pretty sure. <laughs> we're the insect people. Did you stay in the house, or did you all leave? We left, yeah. Did you leave? Yeah, we did leave, yep. Ah. Can you spray? Can you kill them that way? The, um, the easiest, uh, they're hard to kill that way because, because we've used the sprays too much on them. And so they've, uh, they've got resistance to the sprays now. And so you spray them and they sort of smile back at you and then walk away. Um, there's supposed to be a reason for everything, Rob. Why did nature give us bed bugs for crying out Well, I mean, that's one of the things we've, we've done a lot of work on is that, you know, as a, as a si- scientist, we, we get trained to hate that question. Like, what good is it? Um, like a mosquito. Yeah, and and what we've started to do is to think about well, if if we really focus on the species like this, well, what good might it have for humans? And we had an interesting one recently where we we asked people to uh, tell us what lives in their houses, and one of the things we asked about are these camel crickets, which you might have seen. They're the one one we were looking for is about the the size of the last digit of your thumb, and it has long long antennae, and it's really kind of a cave cricket. And so we asked, asked people, do you have them? And immediately 500 people responded whether they did or didn't have them. And what we got back, though, was, was not what we expected, that where people said they have them was sort of wrong relative to our understanding. And so we asked for pictures. And when we asked for pictures, what we saw was that there was a giant Japanese species of these camel crickets that had moved house to house across North America, and nobody noticed it. Everybody else thought somebody else knew what it was. And so we thought that was so cool, you know, we, oh, this is going to be a cool news story, people really like it. And overwhelmingly what we got back was, well, what good is it? And so we started thinking, and well, you know, this is a cricket that really uh, historically lives in caves, eats really crappy food with low nutrition. And so we thought, well, what if it has bacteria in its gut that we could use to break down something that we need to break down, like plastic or industrial waste? And so we looked, and the first one of those crickets we looked in, we found a kind of bacteria that can take the waste of the paper and pulp industry, which is this nasty, nasty stuff that typically gets burned, and turn it into energy. And, and so as we've kept wor- working, we find more and more of these cases where even things like bed bugs, 
if we look at for what use they might have, we can often find one, but I think very often we forget to even look. You know, we just we get so caught up in the the um itchy scratchy that we we forget to 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 look at the bigger picture. And let me ask you about black mold, especially here in the California area. It's all over the place in people's houses. And in some cases, they've had to knock down drywall and everything else. What is that stuff? And it's bad if you breathe it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not great. It's actually very hard to study some of this stuff because what you really want to figure out is, well, what happens if it's in your house for 10 years? Like, what happens to your health? And that that's a hard experiment to do, and one doesn't want to do it, right? Um but what we found is that when we sample air, we often don't see that toxic black mold because its spores are really heavy. They don't get, seem to get airborne. And so one of the mysteries has been how does it get into your house in the first place? And a Danish scientist, Birgit Anderson, has figured out that it's actually coming in with the new drywall. That the drywall really? is sort of preloaded, yeah, with this fungus. And if the drywall never gets wet, that doesn't matter at all. So if it stays dry, the fungus never grows, it just sort of sits there patiently like Buddha or something, and, and it never affects you. But if that drywall then gets wet, the the fun, fungi can then grow, and they just start creeping up the drywall, and that's when you start to see the health consequences. And so, and so I mean, it's a, it's a really weird thing. We've built our houses without paying attention to what we accidentally loaded into them. Would bleach kill it? Um. It, it it can kill it or it can beat it back a little bit, but if if your drywall gets wet, like really wet, like in a flood or something, um, m- much of the time it's really worth worth sort of putting new drywall in where where it's been wet, especially if you've got somebody with allergies or asthma in your house, um, uh, b- because it, it it can produce some stuff that can be problematic and. Uh, uh, once it's there, it's it's pretty hard to get rid of. Um, but if you take that drywall out, then it appears to mostly go away. Now, tell me about mice in the house. How in the heck do those critters get in your house if the doors are always closed? Well, I mean, they've had a lot of experience doing it. So if you go back to, like, Mesopotamia and look what's in houses, the same house mice we have in our house houses were already there, and they they spread with Western culture all through Europe on boats and and, and so, you know, the, hmm. they've practiced uh, a bunch of generations a year at sneaking through any hole we make, and, and they're pretty amazing. They can, uh, you know, they can get through a hole that's like one twentieth the width of what seems to be their body by sort of squishing through. And um, they're, in some ways, they're more expert at living in our houses than we are. Some pets, if you have, uh, will bring in critters, fleas, ticks, all kinds of things. What do you do with your dog and cat? Yeah, that's interesting. So, so dogs and cats seem very different in this regard. So, dogs, like if we if we take a sample of dust from your house and we identify what's in that dust based on the DNA, so it's like CSI dust. Um, the much of the difference from one house to another in terms of which bacteria are in the house is a function of whether or not there's a dog. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And so, having a dog accounts for almost half of the variation house to house and which bacteria are there. And in cities, it looks like having a dog is, tends to be beneficial. And part of what we think is happening is that if you live in a really sealed-up apartment in a city and you're not getting outside, that that dog is sort of your last connection to nature. And the dog is bringing in some bacteria in the soil that are, that are actually good for your immune system and your health and well-being. And kids who grew up with dogs in cities tend to be less likely to have allergies and asthma. Um, 
in the if you live in a rural environment, you're already being exposed to nature a lot, and so the dog effect seems to be less. Cats, on the other hand, bring in totally different stuff. And so, for example, there's a parasite called Toxoplasma gondii that comes in with cats. And I think we most often hear hear about this in the context of pregnancy. If a um, you get scratched, if you get yeah, scratched, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, the, and if you don't want to mess with the kitty litter and you get this parasite, it can hurt the fetus. But recently, uh, hmm. like 10 years ago, it was figured out that that parasite, uh, its natural life cycle is it gets into rats and mice, and then it takes over the brains of the rats and mice and makes them attracted to the smell of cat pee at, because it can only have sex in a cat. And, and so it has to get into a cat to fulfill its life cycle. What we've recently figured out is that when humans are infected with this parasite, that it also alters our behavior. And it, people who have been infected are more likely to be in a car accident. Their personality profiles change. Uh, it's the single best predictor of the onset of schizophrenia. And so it's, it's, the cats are bringing in different things. And, in fact, um, some places it's very, very common that people are infected. Seventy percent of the French are infected, which is to say this parasite could explain the French. And is it, it's a nasty parasite, too, isn't it? Well, um, it's a tricky parasite, and uh, it for sure changes us. Most of the time, the change isn't, you know, it's not necessarily negative or positive, but it makes us different, and so I guess we would want to be wary of that. Um, and and uh, it, it's, it's, more, um, it, it's more clever biologically than we are uh, intellectually in terms of being able to do anything about it. There's not any real way to control it other from, than trying to avoid contact with cat feces. I've, I've got a friend, Rob, whose house is infested with India cupboard moths. What are they? So in, India cupboard moths, they've also moved from, from, the, from Mesopotamia. The, they were in um, Amarna, Egypt in 1350 B.C., uh, 3,000 years ago. They were already in the uh, pantry before the pantry looked like a pantry. And, and they eat the grain. Um, and they've moved all around with us. But we've also used them, and so if you look at um, some of the new transgenic crops that produce their own pesticides, and a separate conversation, how we feel about those, but, but the gene in those crops that produces the pesticides comes from one of those moths. And, and so the, that entire kind of crop, so all the corn in North America, depends on the gene from that moth that bothers your friend. Interesting. How, how do you get rid of them? Um, well, I mean, so they're they're typically coming in with a with a grain that's coming from a Whole Foods or some whole whole grain, um, and and so they're in the grain itself. And so if you clear out your grain, most of the time they're going to be gone. Really? Um, okay. Yeah. Are they in? Your, do you, can you check your packages? Would will they be in the packages? Yeah. So, so you, you'll see them wriggling around in there. Um, and if you don't see them. It, well, it's okay, or you throw yeah, it away. Okay. I mean, they, they don't do it. Other than than eating some of your your grains, um, they don't do any real harm. They're just pesty. They're just pesty. And and if you zoom in on them, they have a loveliness to them. They have beautiful wings, and um, you know you can you can come to appreciate them. I have the sense your friend may may uh, always uh, well never quite love them, but how how are these critters? Are they always revolved around food? You know, some of them are around food. Some are around um, the building itself. Um, you know, some of them have to do with the sort of falling apart of our bodies. Uh, you know, so we're constantly shedding skin cells, and so dust mites are hanging out in the house, taking care of that for us, and sort of a cleanup crew. Um, uh, 
you know, they're, they're eating bits and pieces of your dog as your dog sort of ages and falls apart. Um, Yuck. But, but they all, they all relate to us, right? So that if, if you, if we weren't in our homes, the home would be very different. Different species live there. Um, you know, some species just use the house as a shelter, like ladybugs. Um, but a lot of them, if, if we stop using a house, they disappear. That's what all, German cockroaches are interesting in that regard that we always think of them as so, so tough and they can, you know, survive a nuclear war. But the truth is what they can't survive is our absence. Um, German cockroaches can't live outside. They can't live without humans. And, and so a lot of these species are really sort of tightly tied to the ways in which we live. Um, I think, and I think the more like us they are, the, the more we hate them. You know, German cockroaches t- like the same temperatures we like. They like the same food we like. They're kind of social, but they can be grumpy too. Um, exactly the kinds of things that will make us dislike them. You will let me in your house. Yeah. (laughs) That's that's the only place they like to be. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.